I have no idea if this is going to work. <laughs> I'll just be totally honest here. This is a very, very new idea and application in a highly fragmented regulatory environment with a ton of costs. I think there are some fantastic indicators, both from a macro and micro perspective that lend credibility towards the theory that this could really work and be a huge, huge business, uh, but it also could not work. Hey, this is Jesse here, and you're about to hear my conversation with Alexander Kane, CEO of Sport Trade, which is America's most dynamic sports betting platform where sports betting meets stock trading. I've been looking forward to this episode for a while now, and Alex did not disappoint. We cover a wide range of topics, including their long-awaited launch last month in New Jersey, why they decided not to use traditional odds display formats in favor of the proprietary sport trade format, and how Alex keeps a positive mindset and attitude in the face of skeptics, cynics, and haters. I truly enjoyed this chat with Alex, and I hope you do too. But before we get started, I wanted to make sure you heard about the Betting Startups newsletter, which is the easiest way to keep your finger on the pulse of the industry's early stage ecosystem. Every month, we summarize the headlines from the industry's most promising startups and deliver it straight to your inbox. Subscribing takes 10 seconds, it's completely free, and if I'm being honest, it's a total no-brainer. Head on over to news.bettingstartups.com and subscribe now. All right, we are back on the Betting Startups podcast, and I'll admit I've been looking forward to recording this one since I launched the podcast 40-something episodes ago. With us today is Alex Kane, CEO of one of the most visible startups in the industry, Sport Trade. And Alex, I know Sport Trade just launched a few weeks ago. It's October, which of course means it's peak sport right now. So you have tons going on, and I really appreciate you joining the pod. How are you keeping in these busy times? I'm doing very well. I'm very much excited to do a deep dive with you, Jesse. And I've been a huge fan of the pod since since you've started it. You've had some incredible guests on. So it's cool. It's cool that we can participate today. Happy to have you on. I really, as I say, I've been looking forward to this one for a long time, Alex, and been following the story passively. So looking forward to unpacking everything here. And you're no stranger to podcasts. You've been doing a lot of content talking about sport trade. So some folks will be very familiar with everything you're up to already, but maybe just for the benefit of folks that might not be as familiar with yourself or sport trade, it'd be great if we could just start with a short introduction and maybe introduce yourself, maybe some of the major chapters of your background up until you started sport trade. For sure. So I came up with the idea in college when someone showed me Robinhood. I think there's probably a lot of startups now that like that is the first sentence and not many of them are in sports betting, but there are in a lot of other, maybe more traditional asset classes. But I was, I remember where I was, I was like in the finance school at Drexel, which is where I went to university in Philadelphia. And I don't know, someone just like put it in my hand and I was like, Maybe the fact that it was like, it was dark mode, there was like a lot of white space, or it was really easy to create an account. And everything I had heard and learned about in the months preceding and leading up to that in my studies in finance about how, how much it used to cost to be able to trade a stock and how long it would take to actually create an account. You had to actually go to a physical brick and mortar broker to like create an account at TD Ameritrade at some point and how not transparent the markets were and how little control you had. And I just remember thinking like, oh, this is really cool. And this seems to be like the next chapter of the democratization of finance. And, and, and so I got swept up by that. And I just thought like, yeah, this is going to be a really huge activity. And then, and then someone showed me sports betting. I played on the golf team and there was a uh, participant on the golf team that um, had an offshore bookie. And <laughs> I was always really interested. So I was like, let's see what this whole thing is. And he opened up his computer and I, I swear to gosh, I was looking at an Excel spreadsheet. And he was kind of trying to explain to me these things like the vig and the juice and the hook and the comeback and all these things. And I just remember thinking to myself like, oh my gosh, this is 
so someone is going to create something that feels more like Robinhood that allows you to trade on the probability of sports outcomes to occur. And that came to me from like, yeah, my dad placing some crazy long odds bet that ultimately lost, but actually looking very good halfway through a golf tournament. So that was kind of how the idea came to be. Well, no, it's a good aha moment. And you talked about, you know, the fact that somebody is going to create this at some point that somebody ended up being you with sport trade. And I'm just wondering if you can kind of pull on the thread a little bit here, Alex, and just talk through, I guess, the origins, right? And like when you had that aha moment and bridging that moment of the idea all the way to becoming a reality, can you just sort of talk us through what you did from there in terms of just sort of incubating this idea further? And what were the tangible steps you took that eventually became sport trade and what it is today? Yeah, so I, I graduated in 2017. And that year is when I like started an LLC and tried to put some IP under that LLC. And because uh, I, I it was a business law major as well. And I was like, oh, I, at least I could deploy some skills here. And if right. this kind of crashes and burns, at least I could say I started a business so, paperwork wise. So like remember filing that with a secretary of state uh, in Delaware. And, and then I like I was like, oh, crap, like, how do I do this? This is like really hard. And I ended up finding someone that was in my network that helped me build a V1, like a, a prototype. And it was like, we used to just spend these nights. I'm like, how does this work? Like, we really built an exchange from scratch. Like, we had no idea what an order book was. And we built like this kind of price time central limit order book. And it would make sense that like the way we build it is kind of the way it works in, in I guess, capital markets. Um, and I remember as I as I did get introduced to kind of more influential folks that really have been huge parts of uh, building exchanges before, like just how close we kind of were. It was a serverless thing. It didn't use any on-prem infrastructure. But apart from that, it was pretty close. So that was like the first kind of aha moment. We got into Techstars about a year and a half after that in 2019, um, raised some capital. And then at the end of 2019, what happened was, you know, we had pitched a lot of folks and it was like, oh my gosh, you're going to need a ton of money. And this is a really hard business and sports betting really isn't meant for startups. And I had a couple of partners at the time and the business actually took a step away. And I kind of, at that point, had to start again from scratch in a way. All this, all the software that was built is sitting somewhere in an S3 bucket right now that we just I never touched ever again. And, you know, the next big moment was there was a, uh, someone from Chicago, someone that as I continuously tried to go to new places to try to pitch this business, I found that Chicago was like a magnet towards this idea and someone took a really big risk on me and decided to make a large investment. And that, that firm is now, um, one of our market makers, um, on our platform. And that's when I really got to learn like, okay, this is how you build an exchange. And, and just thanks to their network, they were able to bring in folks like John Ross, who was a former CTO at NASDAQ, who, who built our matching engine and bring in a lot of other pieces into the business. And it was just like a one by one network effect of like, I kept somehow convincing great people to join this business. I think basically, cause like, Hey, everyone's the same. And this is a huge opportunity and we're doing something very different and look at capital markets and like it all kind of just like made one person at a time, take the leap. And then at a certain point we had some sort of scale, at least from a team perspective. 
Well, it all sounds like it's become very real, I guess, from those very early days. And I guess fast forwarding to now, Alex, maybe we can do a bit of a deeper dive now into sport trade and the product as it is right now. It'd be great, again, just to start off with, if you could give us some context as to high concept overview of what the product does, how does it work? And if you can sort of take us through, uh, yeah, sort of V1, and I know it was just launched a few weeks ago, finally in New Jersey, congratulations again on that. It'd be great to just sort of talk about what you have now in market and, and we'll go from there. Sure. So what we have in market, the way I like to pitch it to folks is it's a trading app that allows the customer to download our app on the iOS store, uh, app store and trade on the probability of sports events to occur. And the way they do that is by buying and selling contracts that sell at a hundred if let's say the Phillies win and zero if the Phillies lose or settle at a hundred if over eight and a half runs hits in the game or zero if on over eight and a half runs does not hit. So price equals probability. And the general like USP of like, why would I use this? I think there's a, there's a couple. First is, you know, we are an exchange like a, at a core, you know, sports betting exchange is something that we try and I wouldn't say try to distance ourselves from, but I just don't know if it's a great way, greatest way to pitch your business mm. to a potential consumer. Because it's not like, what is the, what is the USP there? Like, you know, people don't use Robinhood because it's an exchange or like your order gets routed to exchange. In fact, your orders do not get routed uh, to an exchange at Robinhood. There's no concept of an exchange at all in a lot of these trading apps. It's, it's that you can actually trade uh, live on the probability of anything to occur at a super tight price with awesome liquidity with zero delay. And what that ends up creating is a totally new user vertical. And we've even seen it in our first three weeks of launch where customers are predominantly trading pregame to start. And already we've tipped almost two thirds of our volume is, is already in play. And so customers are loving this experience where they're buying the Phillies at 45 against the Astros and the Phillies hit a home run in the bottom of the top of the first inning and they go to 65 and they sell them immediately without any sort of delay or chicanery that, you know, usually mm -hmm. kind of undertaker you experience on a traditional sports book. So, so that's how it works. That's the USP. And that's how we're kind of different from other operators in, in New Jersey. Interesting. And you were talking about, I guess, the, the target users or target customers, and granted, it's only been three weeks. I'm sure this will evolve over time as it does. But as you think about it right now, Alex, who are, I guess, the target user personas that you're really trying to appeal to, right? You talk about it being sort of a Robin Hood for sports, um, thinking obviously back to a couple of years ago during the heights of the pandemic, when everybody was on Robin Hood and the whole GameStop saga and the memes, all of that stuff, like that's sort of the perception, I guess. But if you could talk a little bit more about like, what does the user look like and maybe Sort of how does that sit within the Venn diagram of traditional sports betting, right? Are these folks that are also betting with fixed odds sports books? Or sort of how do you think about that as it is right now? Yeah, so I'd say two key initial personas. One is definitely the high volume better that already uses other apps in New Jersey or may participate in like offshore betting as well. Um, and, and in that way, we're either a net negative to the market or a net positive, depending on uh, whether you count the uh, legal or illegal market as part of the overall ecosystem in New Jersey. Um, there's definitely a huge segment of customers that come in. They're looking actually to get American odds on our site because they that, that's their key USP. I want to get the best price. And we got some really cool things upcoming with getting our live pricing on the unabated live odds screen very, very soon. And we're really excited about that. In fact, customers are going to be able to look at all of New Jersey's prices 
in the zero to 100 sport trade price, as well as sport trade prices in the, in the American odds or, or decimal odds price, which I think is going to be really cool. So that's definitely the first key user and, and 100% they are using other venues. The second key user is someone that is really familiar with trading. I mean, I think New Jersey is a great state for us because we've already seen a lot of customers that ping us and then say, like, hey, I used trade sports 15 years ago. Can I have a job? Type okay. thing. Yeah. Um, because this, a lot of people don't know, and you you are one of the most like renowned experts in the gaming space. You know that something called trade sports existed about 20 years ago and just how insanely popular that was, particularly among trading desks. In fact, the, the main source of customer acquisition used by Ron, who I've gotten to meet, and others at trade sports was they started this idea on a trade in a trading pit. And they went to every single trading pit in Cincinnati, Chicago, New York, Philadelphia, wherever, and said, hey, we're already doing this for March Madness. Here is a way to do it electronically uh, with a much larger network. So I think that's our second hypothesis is that that customer likely already bets or has bet before because traders like to take a lot of risk. However, they're looking at this look, you know, at the zero to 100 kind of perspective of like, wow, this market's 58 bid offered at 60. I'm going to be 59, 57 at 59, and I'll make my two-way market inside the spread of the current market maker. And I can, you know, hopefully have someone buy at 59 and sell at 57. I make $2 times, let's say, 100 contracts, which is a totally different way to think about sports betting. And I think for us, one of the reasons why we're so excited about branding ourselves and pitching ourselves this way is that we need to bring either new activity from new customers or bring about a new activity from customers already betting on other venues in order to have enough volume to make this work. So initially that's our hope. Longer term, it's, it is more of that, I guess, Robinhood you could use or Coinbase, but like we are already seeing customers that are using Sportrade not because of the price, not because of the liquidity, not because they can bet against their friends, but because it's so fun from the buy USC at $47 and then they score two touchdowns and they can sell them at $97. And that to them is just so novel and amazing. And, and for Sportrade to really be successful, that is the audience that's really, 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 really key for us because they are not price sensitive. They're not using limit orders. They're net positive for the overall ecosystem. And they're likely not using DraftKings or, or FanDuel. Interesting. And I guess just talking about the, the post-launch number, you know, it's been three weeks since you launched. So I'm just curious, Alex, thinking a little bit about the users that have been interacting with the platform so far, what's the feedback been? What's the response you're hearing? And I guess overall, like what, what's the general experience been for you as CEO of this thing for the first three weeks since launch? And has anything been surprising to you as well that you're hearing from the customers? I think there's been a couple of things. Definitely where our American odds is all over. <laughs> which I guess was expected. I think uh, we've been able to talk to a lot of customers that are the traditional unabated odds jam, covers, spank odds, Don Best type customer who have actually converted. And interestingly, some of them have said, do not do American odds. This is great. There are edges here pre-game that we don't want others to find out about, <laughs> which is perhaps a reason to definitely have American odds. Right. Support. But I think the, the most the, the coolest thing has been obviously seeing the trades come through and when there has been an issue, like how resilient the team is. Like I want to give the sports trade team like an incredible shout out. Like the, we've already had, of course, when you're a startup and you're launching and there's money involved and there's regulations involved, you're going to have issues and we're not immune to that. But the way we've been able to respond to those things and speak directly to the customers, I think there's customers out there 
maybe some of them are listening to this podcast that I think we've earned for life just because we are going to go over and 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 be above and beyond to like earn that customer's trust when there's issues. I mean, that's been cool to see. And then the amount of in-play has been less like stunning, well over 50%, approaching two-thirds of our volume is is in play. And it's a lot of customers that come on and day one, they deposit $1,000 and they bet 100 And then day two, they'll deposit 5000 and they'll start to find some edges pregame. But all of them are doing in-game as well. And they're either managing that in-game, uh, pregame position in-game and selling out or buying more. Or they're not even doing any pregame anymore and only doing in-game. So I may have got my pre's and in's there mixed up. But essentially what I was trying to say was <laughs> customers are really switching over to in-play predominantly. And when we talk to them, they're like, this is insane. There's no delay. This prices are very tight. If like you see a price and you want it, like the round trip time is less than 100 mils um, from the you know app to the exchange all the way back. I, mean, I think customers really like that. You know, the fact that you're not using American odds right away is quite a different experience, I think. And then just on the topic of of not displaying American odds, at least for now, uh, can you just talk a little bit more about your, your your thinking behind that and what led to that decision? And like, ultimately, what, I guess, are you trying to instill within your users to, uh, I guess, get away from from those more traditional odds formats? Like, what what, what was the, the the driver for you to ultimately make that decision from a product perspective? I, I think it's the... Being able to look at other obviously incredible businesses like Betfair and witness kind of what did they do when they launched? They paraded a dead bookmaker around London, which is like one of the coolest market acts of all time, by the way. And that was the pitch. And it was like a bunch of really smart people. And they themselves thought like, who wouldn't want better odds? This is a no brainer. And so the marketing strategy became completely about we have better odds. And you fast forward, you know, 12 years from 1999, you know, Betfair ended up acquiring another company or merging with Paddy Power and then ultimately launched a sports book. And then from the last 10 years, from 2012 to now, uh, there's been almost no in, you know, investment in that product. And I think the reason is really simple. If you're going to your friend's house and like they're all watching sports and you know they got a sports betting app loaded up, it's really hard. Like you got to try this because it's minus 107 instead of minus 110. 98% of people are like, what the heck? Why does that matter? I'll just bet more at that price. And of course, if you know anything about betting or mathematics, hey, you probably shouldn't be betting at minus 110 anyway, because it's huge negative edge. And of course, that leads you that the people that do still do that may not care about having the best price. So I think the immediate thing for us is like, this is going to be less about the best price and more about creating a whole new customer experience. And that experience is trading. So now go back to that couch that you're on with your friend and turn to them and be like, you got to check this out because this allows you to trade on the game. So USC is right now at $36 here. Just, just buy one. And then they score a touchdown. They go to 56. I'm like, dude, you got to, and then they sell it. And that's it. They're going to go, holy cow, that was awesome. And I think that's less about us being an exchange. It's less about having the best price. It's less about being the price sensitive and more about creating a totally new customer activity. Because for in order for this to be way bigger than the seven to 10% of the market, that exchanges do in the UK, it has to bring in the non-price sensitive customer. It has to bring in the customer that looks at sports trade to say, there's something I could do on sports trade that I can't do anywhere else. So that is the reason why we really wanted to focus and completely align behind the zero to 100 pricing. And the idea there was if we need to add some sort of small toggle or customers do the conversion themselves, 
the really smart customers that are smart enough to know the price is better, this thing could be in hieroglyphics and they'll use it because if, I mean, I would, if it was, if it's a better price, it's a better price. And that's why so many people over in the UK switched over to decimal odds from what were um, more fractional odds before 1999. So I think that like, that's the thinking, like we're going to do really well when, by being on unabated and all these other odd sites. And we're going to be able to show that USP to the customers that care about it. But to the bigger customer base over time, the customer that we can create a huge, really, really huge business with, it's going to be more about being able to trade the game than it is about having the best price. No, that makes a lot of sense, Alex. Um, I mean, essentially, you're pioneering a brand new category with trading sports. Um, and obviously, anytime you're you know leading a new category, there's an education component as well, where you need to educate uh, the population as to sort of what's different about it, what the value proposition is for them, et cetera, et cetera. Within the context of sport trade, how are you thinking about educating the masses on this concept of trading sports and I guess dovetailing that with the product, right? Like the UX that you, your team has developed is, is absolutely, you know, 10 out of 10. I saw it at SBC in New Jersey a few months ago. You were kind enough to give me a demo at the time and it's fantastic, right? And I'm just thinking like intuitive product, but still requires that educational component to really get that message out there. How are you and the team thinking about that right now? And what are you doing, I guess, to really get that message propagating throughout the population? Thank you for your kind words, by the way. Um, it was great to, to meet you at an SPC. I think there's a couple of things we're doing. So we have something called like the Sport Trade 101, which is, you know, you can watch on TikTok or Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or, or LinkedIn or, or however you consume your social media. And it really starts in the beginning. What is a market buy? What does a market sell? What is a price? What is a contract? The hope, the hope over time is that the concept of a contract becomes the way people think about shares is like, ah, I'm just going to buy $100 of Apple. Robin a dozen app. I'm going to buy $500 of Bitcoin. I have no idea how many that buys, but I know if Bitcoin's up 10%, then my yeah, $500 is worth $550. And I think that's what we really hope to do with, with Sportrade as well. But I think this is, this is going to be one of our defining challenges. And it's kind of intertwined with the other defining challenges. Can we acquire customers at scale? Yeah. And, and, and what rate are we doing that at? And I think education is a big part of it. What we've seen is like, we had an initial very small launch party. We've had friends and family use this. We've had partners. I'll give a shout out to Anita Marks. She's been incredible for us. Definitely part of the audience that looks at this as a new activity, as opposed to a, a better way to do what she's already been doing before in terms of it being better price. And the customers were able to kind of have that hands-on experience where we know consume the educated, educating videos that we put out there are the best customers. They're all buying exactly one contract, right, at a time, and they're buying and selling throughout the game. They're buying the dip, they're buying more, they're changing around their cost basis, they're selling for profit, they're selling for loss, they're selling out of some of their position. So I think it's like this incredible J-shaped curve is like, mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot of investment that we need to make in educating. And we're thinking about how to do that, like in person, we're only live in New Jersey, right? There's only so many sports bars that have a high degree of foot traffic on Sundays that have either traders or big betters walk through. And how do we put this in their hands, allow them to experience the magic of like, whoa, where was the delay? You know, uh, wow, like, holy cow, I bought at this price. And like 10 seconds later, I'm already green. My portfolio is green. Should I sell it? Because that is such a new way of thinking about sports betting. I mean, that's certainly going to be a defining challenge. There's also some education from within the app. Uh, we're rolling out some two, more two-sided markets really shortly that allow you to kind of short a team and like doing some education around that and figuring out the best way to do that. But I'd say the app itself is really, at least from, since when I 
had any sort of influence over the design has changed so much because we've done a ton of user interviews. I'll give you a shout out, a shout out to our UX research lead. His name's Adam, as well as Matt and Lee and others on that team that are, they just speak to customers. And initially we had this, like, we have this advanced setting now and a simple setting. And initially the setting was advanced and it was like, you could sell the flyers at 36 or buy them at 37. And like every single customer got tripped up of like, how could I sell the flyers? I don't own them yet. Like, how could I, why would I lay the flyers? Why wouldn't I just back the Blackhawks, whoever team they're playing? And that's how simple trading came to be, where it was just like, well, you could buy the flyers at 37 or you could buy the Blackhawks at 64. And then we invented like the buying dollars technique, like we default to that. And I think that we've seen a lot of engagement and adoption that way, but I think there's a lot more to go in terms of making this feel as approachable as it truly is. Awesome. And you've talked a couple of times now about the partnership that Sport Trade has with Unabated. And I'm curious just to dig into that a little bit as well, Alex, and get your view on just, I guess, the betting tools and analysis ecosystem at large. And curious, yeah, like if you could talk a bit about the strategy of integrating with products like this and just sort of how you see that landscape as a distribution strategy for Sport Trade. I, I see it as a huge partnership and, and capability for our, us to grow our addressable market. I've known, um, Captain Jack for, well, I pinged him on Twitter cold in 2018 and he responded as did Rufus. I don't know how I like, you know, they have obviously very, very busy and have a lot of influence and are very knowledgeable. And I kind of explained this idea and it was like, it was like the journey that like, I think Captain Jack himself went on of like, this isn't going to work. So maybe it's going to work. How are people going to adopt this? How is there going to be liquidity? And now you know, we have him on once a week on our market mover show at 4 p.m. on Twitter. And he's talking about how he's buying 10 contracts of the Phillies at, at this price. And then he's going to sell one contract per inning so long as they still have, an, you know, a, a lead because he thinks they're going to blow it once the kind of starting pitcher comes out. And how you can monetize your closing line value before the game even starts by, mm. you know, maybe you buy Bengals plus three and a half at $51 and by the by game start, they're up at $57 and you can actually sell them or how to place limit orders. He has been someone that has become like an ultimate champion of our business. And he came to me, us in the spring and said like, we want to be a huge, huge part of this. And we want to help educate customers that can um, use our tools and you're a perfect customer to become, you know, a, a viable customer acquisition strategy for you at Sportrade. So that he really came up with the idea of like dubbing the zero to 100, you know, standard called the Sportrade odds. And when customers go on unabated, they're going to be able to see Every single, they're going to be able to see bet MGM's price in, a, in what is called sport trade odds. So you could see that on sport trade, you could buy either side for, let's say, 50 or 50 and a half. And on, let's say, MGM, not to call them out in sure. particular, you could buy either side at 53. And like you look at that and like if you're a first time customer, like it's going to be so much easier to understand that 50 is lower than 53 and you want to buy something at the lowest possible price. And I think there's going to be a way to engage that more basic user, which is definitely a target demo of theirs. But also the customer that is really involved that may want to see like, well, how much liquidity is available at that price on sport trade? Because if there's not a lot of liquidity, it must be like a resting retail order for a guy that wants to buy one or two contracts. And if that's the price that's crossing with MGM, maybe that's the price I want to take out versus if the liquidity is really, you know, deep there at that price, that means that there's market makers confident in that price and maybe MGM is the wrong one. So for customers that are not even in the state of New Jersey that can use that as a price discovery tool to figure out how to inform their betting strategies, I think is, is going to be really interesting as well. 
Awesome. One other thing I wanted to chat briefly about, Alex, is you're very active on Twitter. You actually you know, just talked about reaching out to Captain Jack and Rufus a couple of years ago, which obviously led to the partnership with Unabated now. And, you know, you are very, I guess, prolific on Twitter, for lack of a better term. And I'm just curious why you've decided to prioritize engaging on Twitter as something for yourself as CEO when there's so many other things competing for your attention and so many other CEOs. That's an afterthought for them. What is it that has sort of led you to I guess, wanting to be close to those conversations and, and making it a priority to engage with audiences on Twitter. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a priority for the entire executive team at Sportrade. Like the, the customer is at the forefront. That's our mission statement, to elevate the industry with capital markets principles and place the customer at the forefront. And that for us means that the customer or even the potential customer is the most important stakeholder in the ecosystem. So there's any sort of interaction that we can do to earn one more customer, that is extremely valuable for us, especially right now when these sorts of things don't scale, hopefully next year. Um, there's like an amazing piece uh, that Brian Chesky does. And I think in how I built this and how he was really focused on doing things that like do not scale early on at Airbnb. So like if you are a customer or you're thinking about depositing this for trade, if you deposit more than $500 or if you fail a deposit, you will be getting a text from me to try and help you through that situation. I know that this doesn't scale, but I think if there's any time to do it, the time's now, because hopefully in two years, it's just not feasible to text every single person that sales $1,000 deposit on Sportrade. And I think through that interaction, you can gain a customer for life. And for that, to me, like, oh man, there's not many better uses of time than that, because that customer may become a really great customer for us. And they may have a network of three more customers, or they may have a cousin that lives in Colorado or a sister that lives in Indiana that when we launch there, that's another customer. So I think that's, it is all about putting the customer first. And that's, that's what really drives these sorts of interactions. No, I appreciate that. And last couple of questions here, Alex, and we'll let you get on your way here. I want to just shift a little bit and just talk about your entrepreneurial journey and, and get a bit of a window into sort of your mindset as an entrepreneur leading sport trade and trying to, you know, blaze a new category here and have sport trade at the forefront of it. You know, just the first thing I'm curious to, to hear about is in this long journey you and the team had getting to launch a few weeks ago in New Jersey. Just wondering if you can reflect back on that pre-launch journey and, and what was the hardest part for you, I guess, in going through all of that? And just how did it feel for you to eventually reach that launch milestone? And, and just sort of what did that mean for you to actually get live with the product? It meant a lot. I think it was people were coming up to me like, hey, can you believe it happened? And for me, it was like, I don't know, like even when it happened, it happened so quick because we got the App Store approval and in less than 24 hours later, we launched it. It kind of felt quick, even though, you know, Kind of before that, to answer your first question, like what was the hardest part about it? I think that just the honest, total honest answer is I had never built a real B2C product before, ever. And I think I think Sport Trade is a culmination of like, it's kind of like Coinbase in that like, it's not like NASDAQ in that we just have like an on-prem infrastructure and we have like 25 customers and that's it. Uh, but it's not just like something like Figma where it's just, a, you know, a UI tool really where you're interacting with many, many different customers. It's, it's kind of both. Um, and I think that was an extraordinary challenge for us. And then at the same time, needing to raise money and build a team, but also get the regulatory approval around this very, very different model um, and proving to regulators this is better for the customer. It's still going to generate revenue. It's a net positive for the overall industry. I'm a very positive person, perhaps too much so at times, which I think you need to be to be an entrepreneur because being an entrepreneur is crazy. It doesn't make any sense. Um, is I, I tended to arrive at conclusions that we would launch sooner than we would. 
And at some point in 2021, I was just like, I'm, not, I'm done. So anyone ask me when we're going to launch, I'm just going to say 2026, you know? <laughs> um, because, because, because I don't know, right? I and mean, I think like the opportunity, what I've learned and now as we build more products is like understanding when money's involved and customers are involved and regulators are involved and gambling involved, it's just always going to be 10 times harder than you think it is. But I think out of that comes the culture we really built around doing things the right way. You know, this is only an iOS app. There's no Android yet. There's no web. We've had customers buy iPhones. We've had customers find their spouse's iPhones. We've had customers that I went to Best Buy to see if I can buy a phone for them and literally overnight mail it to them because they wanted to use it that bad. And I, I think I think it's like, we'll get there. And that was the toughest part of is like the patience around this is going to work. Like is, people are going to adopt this. There's a lot of pressure on like, when are we going to launch? But like kind of setting that to a side and focusing on what was right in front of us. And I think thanks to the team, they really kind of were a really solid foundation for me. And that's what allowed us to be able to achieve that milestone. Amazing. And one other question, just sort of sticking with the entrepreneurial mindset, just for a moment here, you know, building a product like Sport Trade is naturally going to attract a certain number of skeptics and cynics. And as I say, I follow you on Twitter. I, I see that you have to deal with this. I sometimes double click into your tweets and see the mentions that you get. And there's a lot of skepticism out there, right? And, and really now it's incumbent upon you and the team to really sort of prove those skeptics wrong. And I'm just sort of curious, Alex, if you can talk a little bit about like, how do you deal just mentally and psychologically with, you know, people questioning what you're up to and just sort of the inherent skepticism and cynicism and the haters really, right? And then, you know, it can be tough for people to sort of hear that stuff? And how do you sort of maintain that positivity uh, through all of the skepticism and, and, and people sort of questioning whether this model will work? Yes, I think it's because I can choose my attitude. That, that's a choice I get to make. And uh, I have no idea if this is going to work. <laughs> I'll just be totally honest here. Uh, this is a very, very new idea and application in a highly fragmented regulatory environment with a ton of costs. I think there are some fantastic indicators, both from a macro and micro perspective that lend credibility towards the theory that this could really work and be a huge, huge business. Uh, but it also could not work. So when I, people reach out to that, I, I, it's more, it's less like this is going to work and I'm going to keep going this way and more like, I'm not going to give up. This team's not going to give up. If we have to pivot, we're going to pivot. We're here to create value and listen to our customers. And maybe there's something that those cynics are saying that's really smart. And so there's folks I've connected with on Twitter that bring me, and because of the relationship I've been able to, like if someone reached out to me and says that sort of stuff, I just reach right out to them. There's so many cynics that are on like, on the surface on Twitter, it seemed like terrible people. And like, there's one of them I'm going to grab a drink with like next month when he comes to the Eagles game. And they have really great insights as to why they don't think it's going to work. Mm. Or what did Netfair do wrong? Or what are decisions they made that led them towards the path of really only attracting the kind of price sensitive audience and less of the recreational audience? And I think it, I take it as a learning opportunity. Um, and then I think it's, it's just another way to maybe earn more customers is like, if you kind of have that kind of ethos around you, that like you, you're here to build a community and listen to everybody. I think that that can be a net positive for the overall community. And maybe again, like another opportunity to gain like one more download, yeah. one more person trying to deposit on ACH, which is our only option right now. So yeah, I look at it as an opportunity. Awesome. No, I appreciate that. And then. If we look into the crystal ball, you look five years into the future, you get past the, the stage of doing things that don't scale. And, the, you know, sport trades a really well-oiled machine at that point, And the sport trading category is well-established at that point. What does life look like in five years, both for the category, but also for sport trade and where it sits within the category? 
I think sports betting is going to continue to be just a huge part of how casinos and leagues and affiliates and media companies and teams engage customers. I, my hope is that it, it's done in a really responsible manner, just looking overseas on what can happen if, you know, common sense doesn't prevail among the, you know, in the private sector. And for sport trades specifically, I, I think, well, let's forget sport trade for a second. I think just like trading sports vertical within the U.S. Like my, when I close my eyes, I'm like, what is the vision here? Like it's a CNBC style, style wall-to-wall show where you have folks like Jim Cramer and Contessa Brewer and the Nigerian brothers. Like these are all people, a lot of them, maybe not all the people I just mentioned, they all did the zero to 100 gambling in the pits in the 80s in Chicago or on the NYMEX in, in, in New York. And it's the same sort of thing. Like the Eagles to win their division opened at 30 bucks and now it's 60 bucks. And it won't just be sports trade as the only venue you can execute on. Hopefully there's many venues. Hopefully sports folks begin to offer zero to 100 as an option, thinking that it's a way to, to, to grow the overall TAN. And, and hopefully through this market gets more efficient, costs go down, not because customers really care about it. There's more, it's like, it's the right thing to do. Right. And so that's the overall vision that it becomes like, there are people that now think about trading sports the same way they think about trading everything else. And it's, it's less of a, as I mentioned, like it's a great price and it's more like everyone's just ripping market orders, but the price is super tight anyhow, because there's numerous market makers that try and compete to make a very, very small edge in each of those trades. And then overall, the ecosystem becomes elevated and the volumes continue to grow. I remember when NASDAQ walked into the Comcast Center in 2019, they cold called me. I don't know. Well, it's a longer story as to how that happened, but essentially it was a cold call at the time. They walked in and it was Wald and two others, Dan and Kevin. And the first thing we said is like, how big could this industry be? And they said the same thing that I said. I think it could be a T. In terms of, I think the overall turnover in the U.S. at maturity could be T, trillion dollars or more. And I think it's going to follow a very similar trajectory to like options. Options were not popular at all 10, 15 years ago. And now they're like, in, there's incredible volumes in options. And now the same thing is happening, I think, in futures and crypto futures with what FTX is doing. So that's, that's the uh, very lofty vision for, for the trading sports vertical. And Alex, I know you've listened to the podcast before, so you can probably anticipate the closing question here today, which is this. If you weren't working on sport trade, if you weren't doing anything tangentially related to sports, sports betting, financial markets, anything like that in a parallel universe, what would you be doing instead? You see, I was going to say something that is tangentially involved. So I'm going to skip that entirely, go completely on the fly here. I was always a golfer and I think there's a huge opportunity to apply a lot of like the, what are called like the ball flight laws and all of this, what people now know about the kinematic sequence to golf. And then there's a, a way to kind of grow that overall market of people that spend 25 years of their life slicing the golf ball, where you can just take them for 15 minutes and be like, why is the ball spinning that way? And why is it starting on that path? And kind of reverse engineer that. And, and there's a lot of people that, especially in the Philadelphia area, that are really good at this. John Dunnigan's one of them. To kind of really start from a very basic fact of like, forget the golf swing, forget everything. Why does the ball start this way and curve this way and go this high? And then reverse engineer that back into like, maybe this is the way you should swing. Of course, I've adopted this mentality. My golf game has gone to literal, I'm terrible at golf now. I don't get to play anymore, but I, I would, I love trying to teach people things so that you learn so much from that. So I would be a, uh, a local golf instructor. 
Awesome. Let's not rule that out for a future chapter, but I think for now you have your hands full with sport trades. So we'll leave it there for today, Alex. But look, I really appreciate you joining. It's been great to spend 40 minutes here and chat about sport trade and really wishing you and the team all the best for the coming months and years ahead. And we'll keep in touch. Yes, Jesse, thanks so much for your time. This is really, really great.